Welcome to Stop Telling and Start Listening with David Cook. If you're frustrated with the way we are speaking or not speaking to each other, if you find yourself easily at odds in your conversations with people, this may be just the show for you. Listen in as David and his guests will help you elevate your communication skills and navigate the tensions present in many conversations today. Now, here is David Cook. All right, let's get started. Hey, welcome everyone to Stop Telling and Start Listening. I'm your host, David Cook. Every week I am blessed with the opportunity to share some lessons and experiences regarding the power of listening and the impact great listening behaviors have on building trust, improving relationships, and solving complex problems. Today I have a very special guest, a good friend of mine, Kate Turner. Um, I met Kate when I first moved to Arizona over 15 years ago. Kate has since departed and is living in California, but um, we had an opportunity to connect years ago. And I will be formally introducing Kate in a few minutes, but I would like to take this moment here for a few minutes to uh, set the theme and the tone for the show today. So, um, and the things that we will be talking about. Um, you'll hear later on that Kate is a personal development coach for high achievers and highly driven people. And the more you hear from her, you'll find out she is one. Um, but the funny thing is, I was thinking as I was setting up this show and thinking about the things we were going to talk about, I reflected uh, on, on my view of myself. I started there and saying, how do I, do I classify myself as a high achiever? Am I a, um, a high performer, that kind of person? And personally, I'd like to say I'm not. I don't identify as that. As that. But when I look at my resume and my behaviors and the self-talk that I have, and obviously some of the feedback that I've gotten from friends and peers and stuff like that, I probably am a, a highly driven person. And, um, you know, cause I do have high expectations for myself. I expect a lot of myself. Um, I, I evaluate success, um, at extreme levels where, um, you know, a, a plus work is, is the only thing that's acceptable and a plus work is the only outcome I really, you know, would evaluate as, as, as seeing as an accomplishment. The trouble, trouble is sometimes though, is, is that, you know, that's the external, that's the guy that's driving, driving the behaviors and stuff like that. But, you know, what goes on in the background? And I got to confess that some of the stuff that goes on in the background with me is there's a lot of bad self-talk. And um, because I've set such high standards and because I've set such high expectations and because I expect a lot of myself, anything short of that, I evaluate, I actually um, look at it and call it failure. And I don't think it's really fair to call it failure, but I do because I believe that the goal I established for myself was reachable. It was attainable. It was doable. And so if I didn't, means that something um, went wrong. And the only person responsible for the failure, obviously, is the guy who's driving the ship. And that was me. And so, you know, that's, that's been my struggle. And so what I've learned from me is, um, as I've gone through this, you know, done some of my own self-work, uh, you know, Kate and I were joking before we started the show is maybe I need her as a coach to kind of tone me down a little bit, give me some perspective. But, um, what I have learned is, is that, uh, from a lot of introspective is that, my story of being a failure when I don't achieve the goal or the objective as I, as I envisioned it, is it doesn't mean that I'm flawed or a failure. It means that I, I pushed myself to a limit and I need to find ways to, to, a, to the point that I could get as far as I could go. And I need to find a way to celebrate the progress, the experience, the accomplishment. And um, so when, from a selfless listening point of view, and last week in the show, we introduced uh, the concept of selfless listening and selfless listening is paying attention to the person um, that you're talking to, to hear their story and understand their perspectives and all that other stuff. And selfish telling is bringing in our um, flawed views. You know, we judge, we criticize, we shame um, and all those other things. And when I think we think about the self-talk, self-talk is actually um, selfish telling because I'm telling myself all the things from a judgment point of view where I've failed, where I've gone wrong and all that other stuff. And selfless listening is allowing other people to encourage me, to congratulate me. You know, obviously there's a saying that says other people's opinion of, of, of me are none of my business, but it's always nice to get encouragement. When people encourage you as a, as a high performer, I go, ah, yeah, but I didn't hit my goal. But Dave, look at all the things that you did. Yeah, but I didn't hit my goal. 
And what I'm actually doing to myself is I'm selfish telling. I'm telling myself internally how I failed instead of allowing myself the grace and the peace to accept uh, congratulation or celebrate a milestone that beforehand didn't exist. So we're going to talk a little bit about um, uh, high performers and high achievers and the stuff that gets in their way, like, like I just talked about, the head trash. But the other thing we're going to talk about is um, as a coach and as a, as a, a therapist in many ways, how Kate listens and hears and communicates and stuff like that. So that's what we're going to do. Um, so anyway, that's, that's setting the tone for today. So what I'd like to do right now is obviously bring in my guest because um, she's much smarter and much more fun than I am. And um, listening to her lecture will be more enjoyable than mine. So we're going to bring Kate in. And, um, you know, Kate's a coach for humans who are striving to have more uh, meaning and impact in their daily lives. She primarily works with high achievers and workaholics who are already investing themselves in therapy, self-help, even 12-step recovery programs, which I can relate to. Uh, Kate's passion for helping people accomplish their goals quickly and efficiently it was initially sparked when she was in the sales role and continued through management and success coaching positions over the last 15 years. So she has done the corporate game. She's played that game. And her approach to coaching involves helping clients get clarity, build confidence, and take action that aligns to their values and their sense of purpose. And uh, Kate has a really nice resume. I love the companies that she's worked with and I've had the pleasure of watching her from a distance. Um, but she has guided clients from companies like Dell, Airbnb, Salesforce, Microsoft, Abbott Labs. And she also volunteers with Empower Work and Dress for Success, which is pretty cool. Um, well, I think it was also very healthy. We'll talk about that. Um, so Kate spent 10 years in tech sales and believes everything in life is sales, kind of like Dom, uh, Daniel Pink, right? Uh, selling yeah. is human. Yeah. She was a semi-professional poker player. I don't think she was. I think she still is. She's just not telling us. But um, she's also obsessed with her dogs and her one pup, Quincy. I don't know if Quincy's going to try to join us, but uh, apparently Quincy has a tendency to show up. And um, her strengths, she's an achiever. She's uh, uh, competitive. She's in, uh, intelligent, um, she's futuristic, and an arranger, which is an interesting word. And her Enneagram is a helper and achiever. Interesting. So, Kate, welcome to the club. How are you doing Thanks, today? Thanks, David. I'm doing really well. How are you doing? I'm good. This is, uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure to have you, have you join me. Um, it's funny how 15 years... Um, um, we started out having coffee somewhere near ASU and mm -hmm. um, had a nice connection and a nice conversation. It's nice to watch and see your career path. And it's been, it's a treat now to be able to have a, have a conversation with you from a place of expertise. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate this opportunity. Um, so you work with, with workaholics at alcoholics, sorry about that 12 step stuck in my head. Um, <laughs> you work with workaholics. And um, I know you, so there's somewhere along the way you realized you were one of them. Yes. So when did you realize that and what did that mean? Great question. I realized it fairly recently. And um, I would say the distinction between being a high achiever and a workaholic is really in first and foremost, having your identity wrapped up in it, having your value wrapped up in your work. And then the sacrifices that you make for work. And I kind of got to this point where I had accomplished everything I wanted to in my career. And I felt like, is this all there is? Like, isn't it supposed to feel different? Um, and yet I couldn't really put it down and walk away. I still was so wrapped up in constantly achieving. And so that led me to start to look at what were the things that I needed to do to have an identity that was separate from my job and to accomplish things in my life that did really feel meaningful and valuable to me instead of promotions and paychecks and a strong corporate resume. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So um, when you came to that realization and, and made that commitment, um, that next step, what was it like? Hmm. Well, it was a process. 
It wasn't okay. the kind of thing that you can change overnight. And I think the awareness builds over time. So I started to see things and then other pieces of the puzzle started to put, be put into place. And it really just started with building acceptance first, realizing that that was where I was and that is how I assigned my identity and that that was okay, uh, that I didn't have to be ashamed about it. Um, but that I didn't want it to be the case moving forward. So then I started to look at what were the ways that I could change um, and start to make small improvements in how I either set boundaries or added additional things to my life that were not achievement focused mm. uh, to build some balance. That's cool. That's great. It's funny you talked about uh, you know uh, achieving something or accomplishing something, and then going is that all there is? Uh, years ago, I I, um, I can't remember the exact the specific quote, but I wrote something down and said, "Now that you've climbed the mountain and planted the flag, you got to go back and start and and do something else." Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like starting over, and it's like really, and but the reality is, you know, you can stand on the mountaintop and wave the flag and say, "I did it" or "I achieved it." But then the next day, essentially, you got to move on from that. You can't stand on the mountain anymore. Yeah. And it's really in the mindset there, right? Do you look at it as starting over do you, or do you look at it as building something new? Mm. Um, do you look at it as, you know, the peak achievement that now there's nowhere to go but down? Or do you look at it as now just a higher foundation to build something else off of? Um, yeah. And that I think is a big distinction because a high achiever can look at that and say, great, I did that. Now I'm ready to do something else. And a workaholic would be like, oh my gosh, now what, mm-hmm. you know, is life over or, you know, what do I have to show for it now that I am starting from ground zero? Mm-hmm. So when you, when you're, um, you know, cause we use, we've kind of used about three terms. Um, I don't know if you want to pick one that we want to focus on, but we talked about high performers or high achievers. We talk about workaholics. Um, I don't know what other word you use, but what, what, what term should we focus on as we talk, uh, square up our conversation here? Let's use one, pick one word and, and zero in on that. Yeah. Well, I think it's important to know that there is a distinction that some high achievers are also workaholics and some workaholics are high achievers, but they're not all one in the same. And so, you know, really looking at what motivates you is important. A high achiever is going to be intrinsically motivated, whereas a workaholic is typically extrinsically motivated. Um, so it may even just be, you know, a term would be, you know, somebody who finds themselves overworking, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of the big thing is that is just really focused solely on work. Um, those are the types of people that I do tend to work with, um, whether they have boundaries in place or not. Mm-hmm. So the people that are in overdrive. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Absolutely. <clears throat> You know, I remember um, years ago, I took a, uh, when I did a, an exec MBA class um, and it required me to spend about 20 hours a week um, studying. We were, it was an exec MBA program. So we had a fixed curriculum with 70 people. And um, one of the things that I did was, you know, obviously I would leave work early and do some other things. I you know, obviously took time away from my family. But when I got done with the program, I realized that I could do my job working less hours. Mm-hmm. And from that day forward, after I got done with the program, I made a commitment to myself that I'm not giving that back to work. Good. I'm giving it back to my family. And it was funny because a lot of the people, obviously when you have an exec MBA program, the people that are in that program, because they're nominated and supported and funded by their companies, everybody there is an, is considered a management, you know, executive management caliber candidate. And every one of my friends after a year, I'd say, so what's going on? Oh, back to the grind, 60, 70 hours a week. And I'm thinking like, hey, what are you doing? Oh, I'm coaching soccer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and it, it was it was interesting because I realized that was like an aha moment. It's like I can do my job without having to just be all in. I was all in intellectually. Mm-hmm. I was all in, you know, in other aspects, you know, my heart and soul into the business. But in terms of all in where everything, um, everything spun around the job or the career or the process, 
It's like, no, it's not that important. That work will be here tomorrow. Yes. And that's what it really is for for me too, is it's not about letting go of the work and I'm not anti-hustle culture by any means, but I am about boundaries and balance and realizing where there's room for efficiency and (laughs) where there's room to just let go of things Mm -hmm. that really don't need to be focused on or uh, don't need to be committed to. That makes sense. So it's, um, it is interesting because it, you know, like uh, there are times when I was first going through that transition and we're going to take a break in a second. We'll probably talk about this on the other side of the break, but when I was going through that transition, that giving myself permission to, mm-hmm. you know, take a break, walk away, um, adjust my calendar, however, that was a battle. Yeah. Um, even though I, you know, it was easy in some respects because I knew I had, I was able to test it out. There was still that, am I, can I really do this? Is it okay? Yeah. You know, so, and that's where uh, my job as a coach comes in. I give people that permission that they could have given themselves, but sometimes need an external force to say yeah. it's okay. Well, they, well, they, yeah, they're looking for somebody to um, give you permission, right? So, you know, so mm-hmm. please give me permission to do that. Sure. Let's talk about how you do that. So I think that's what we're going to do. So we're going to take a break and we're going to come back to that. We're going to talk about listening and, and, you know, in your, in your coaching process and stuff like that. And uh, we'll be right back after our break. We are living in a time where a relentless commitment to opinions and beliefs are dividing communities and fracturing crucial relationships. Making ourselves right and those who disagree with us wrong leaves little room for engaging in a constructive learning dialogue. There is little opportunity to change minds, find common ground, or solve complex problems. Those who are not being heard or understood become angry, hurt, lost, isolated, alone, and more. While mental health-related issues are on the rise, too few know how to safely share their struggles, and far too many don't know how to care about those that do. While it is increasingly frustrating to experience an increase in this communication divide, there is hope. And according to David Cook, there is an answer. The answer lies in how we adjust our communication style and shift our listening behaviors. In his radio show, Stop Telling and Start Listening, host David Cook introduces his audiences to the power found in creating a safe place for sharing life perspectives and experiences without judgment, criticism, correction, or shame. There are tremendous opportunities in learning to see the world from the eyes of another. Join David on Mondays at 11 Pacific. Discover how shifting your listening behaviors will close the divide that exists between you and others in your community. You're listening to Stop Telling and Start Listening. Have a question for David or his guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Or you can email Dave at dave at thecookgroupllc.com. Now, back to the show with David. Everybody, welcome back. Dave Cook here on the Stop Telling, Start Listening with my good friend and guest, Kate Turner. We've uh, talked a little bit before the break about people who um, work in overdrive, um, high priorities around work and performance and results. And um, I think we set the table pretty well for what, it, what you know, that, that kind of personality and the things that um, they do and experience and stuff like that. Inclusively, we do and experience because I know Kate and I are in that club. Yes, but, we are. Uh, as, a, as a coach and, and, and advisor to people who are looking to get some balance, I guess, or get some space, I mean, tell me a little bit about how you navigate the craziness with uh, mm-hmm. with people like me? <laughs> well, so what I would say is that my methodology is really around meeting people where they are. So recognizing what actually exists and what may be going on and acknowledging that that's okay, that they're not broken, they don't need fixing. Uh, they just might be ready to make a change. And then really looking at what is the root of the problem is because a lot of people will come in saying, I need a new job. I want a new boss. Maybe I should change industries. Uh, but the reality is you bring yourself into whatever next move you make. 
And so a lot of times making a positive change on the external world actually requires some internal work first. And so that's really where listening comes into place is listening to the stories that people are telling, listening to what it is that they say they're wanting and then what is kind of underneath. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And then really trying to understand what the outcomes are that they're wanting and digging deeper into it because more money, more free time, a better job title is not actually usually the root of what they're truly wanting. So it takes some listening and almost some investigative work to really drill down into what the core is And once the core is revealed, then typically the next steps are pretty apparent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they uh, um, learned this years ago. Somebody said to me is that, you know, one of the things that they teach people in therapy school is that the first thing that the patient says um, that they want to deal with isn't the issue. (laughs) Yeah. That you got to spend some time from there to drill down and see what's really going on. So that's uh, pretty much what you do then. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, lots of good questions. I mean, what do you, where do you go with that? Well, you know, the theme of this is stop telling, start listening. So I think that one thing that comes up for me with that is why you listen and what the value in listening is. Uh, and something that's unique to the way that I coach is I don't give a lot of advice. My job as I see it, is to be a mirror for the client and reflect back what is being presented. And that that way the client can see how they are today and how they're changing in the future. And so much of that really does involve listening. My Mm -hmm. focus is to help people really feel like they've been seen, heard, and understood. And there's a few different levels that you can focus on there, right? It's not just about what the words are that are coming out of their mouth. And like you said, the first thing they say is not typically actually the real um, motivator there, Uh, but also listening to what the energy is in the room. Um, Also listening to what else may be present. Uh, What else is going on? What else you notice in terms of body language? Sometimes even what's not being said. Uh, is also something that I, as a coach, start to listen for and actively engage in. Do you find people leave things out? I do. Okay. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? Hmm, It's a good question. It depends. Sometimes people don't have the awareness to realize that they are avoiding Mm -hmm. something specific. Um, And then sometimes it's fear of really acknowledging what is truly important or what they wish wasn't present, but is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that you said very early on that really resonates with the um, whole selfless listening um, methodology is meeting people where they are for who they are. I think it's, mm-hmm. you know, at least that's, that's how I use it, but you said it very similar to that. You know, it's, it, it's, it's complete acceptance. You're accepting them for who they are in that, in that spot and learn. And that's where I, uh, that's where I'm going to meet you. That's where I'm going to learn from you. That's where we're going to, we're going to start. And I think that's a great, that's a great gift that you're giving people because you use the word fear is there. Um, one, if it's, if it's fear, one of the things they're afraid of is, is it, is it going to be criticized? Is it going to be judged? Does it sound wrong or bad? <clears throat> and if you're, meeting people, creating a safe space for people to share um, what you're doing is you're giving the gift to, to speak the truth and to encourage them to remove that fear so they can speak freely and honestly to you about, you know, whatever it is they need to talk to you about. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the ways that I do that is actually in thinking about and focusing on what are the things that people are emphasizing or repeating or looking for patterns as they speak, because oftentimes people won't come out and say, hey, does this sound crazy? <laughs> and then throw it out there. Or, you know, my biggest fear is, I love it when the client says that, but it rarely happens. And so mm-hmm. being able to start to listen for what are the patterns? What are the words that people are frequently using? Or what is the emotion that's present with those specific types of words can oftentimes be 
a very strong clue to where they are or what does need to be addressed. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that you said, which is very powerful, um, besides meeting them where they are, but making sure that they feel seen, heard, and understood. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was a quote that I heard years ago as um, people, um, people don't follow people, you know, people trust people when they feel heard. Mm-hmm. And so what you're doing when you're creating that platform, that listening platform um, of acceptance and in the safe space, but what you're doing is you're making sure that they know you're listening, that mm-hmm. you hear them and that you understand them. And if you don't understand them, you ask questions for more understanding. Yeah, absolutely. I went to lunch with a client of mine and her husband once, and I'd never met her partner And my client stepped away for a few minutes. And so I started talking with him about his job and some of his goals. And uh, when she came back to the table, he exclaimed, Kate's the most incredible listener and conversationalist I've ever met. And my client is just cracking up. And she's like, oh, she was mirroring you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, do you know what she was just doing with you? Like, no, he had no idea. But all I had just been doing was really listening to the words that he was saying. And whenever he would say something, I would just clarify or I would repeat back what I had heard um, and check for my understanding. I hadn't added any value to that conversation whatsoever. (laughs) None of my own perspectives, but in just a very short period of time, we were really able to build a lot of rapport and trust. And he really did feel seen and heard. And it was such a easy technique to use mm-hmm. yeah well but there's a there is a difference um you know because if we tell people if we encourage people hey you know uh, spend time listen um do some you know create create some affirmation and however you want to do that um there is a difference and um, this is why i really trust you with this conversation so much is you're not doing it from a manipulative point of view Mm-hmm. You're doing it because you are truly, authentically, and honestly engaged in learning and understanding. Yeah. The end yeah. game is learning and understanding them, not learning and understanding them to get something out of it. You're learning to understand them so that you and them, you that you form a, this this really cool connection of trust and and in conversation. Yeah, my job as a coach right, is to understand them and to help them process. So for me, listening is really critical and I, I have to do it. But a takeaway for anybody who's not a coach or is not in a career where they're practicing this skill, the same applies. I know a lot of people who have a hard time listening because they're listening to respond or they're so wrapped up in their own head. I think you mentioned this negative thought patterns, right? You're judging yourself. Um, and so this technique can be a good way to get yourself out of your own head and present in the situation is to listen with the goal of understanding um, or with the goal of responding in a way that is affirming what you heard or clarifying what you heard. Then it takes the focus off of you and back onto that person. Mm-hmm. And ultimately what should result is a better connection. Um, mm-hmm. and a sense of understanding. Right. And that, and that trust piece is so important for sure. Mm-hmm. Cause if they feel in anybody, um, who feels everybody, everybody knows when they, when somebody, well, I shouldn't say they know, but they sense intuitively we sense when we're being played with when it's inauthentic. Yeah. And, yeah. um, so the, the sincerity in which you, you know, our authenticity in which you bring your, your curiosity is really important. So that's good. So resistance, how do you deal with resistance? When people, when you know people are holding back, how do you get there? (laughs) Um, Well, it depends. A lot of it is by feel what's present in the moment um, and calling it out. I would say a lot of times if I ask somebody just to name what's going on or to name what's distracting them, right now, uh, it brings it to the surface. And also listening to body language can be a big thing too. I worked with a client the other day where 
they were talking about one goal and they were just slumped over and speaking in a really low tone um, a goal with their career. And then when they talked about their family, energy changed, mm -hmm. right? Um, they were excited. They were smiling. So just being able to acknowledge that and ask what had just shifted brought out that while they think they should be um, really performing in their career, what's really most important to them right now is family. And mm -hmm. um, they didn't realize that they were resisting making changes in that form. Uh, but, but just by noticing and calling it out, we were able to move through some of that resistance. Mm -hmm. That's really good. And I think that's a very, um, I want to reemphasize that point is because we talk about communication all the time being the words and, you know, I think, I think people do choose words that you need to pay attention to some of the words that they choose to describe or to define things, but mm -hmm. it isn't always all the words. It's the inflection. It's the, it's the behavior. It's the, like you said, the tone, whatever it is, there are a lot, there's a lot of things going on. So listening is attentive mm -hmm. as well, isn't it? Yeah. It absolutely is. It's on all three of those levels too. Look, look for the signs and the energy and the body language. Listen to the words. Listen for what's not being said, and then rephrasing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> rephrasing, adding a metaphor, right? Adding description around it. All three of those things can bring more clarity, more understanding, and better connection. Mm, excellent. That's really cool. So. Um, you got a like a success story, like something you want to do. You want to do a brag, how you moved from somebody who was like totally blocked to, uh, you know, you got them to a, a crazy place. You know, you got like a, you got like three minutes. So you get give me a give me, <laughs> give me a give me a two two minute Kate Turner Harvard review story. Sure. Well, a good example, a client of mine is a very successful executive who had worked towards having a mini retirement. And they made it, they got it. Um, and they were spending every day surfing. And that's when they came to me and they said, I should feel great that I accomplished this. Um, but I just feel guilty every day I go out surfing at noon. Like I should be doing more. I should accomplish more. And I think that people think that I'm nuts. And it was a really emotional process. We, he came in wanting to work on actions. What should I do? Where should I go? How should I do it? And instead, we actually dug into the emotional aspect of what was driving the guilt, what was driving this need to continue to succeed, and what was blocking them from ultimately being content with their accomplishment and what was present for them right now. Mm. Um, and over a course of about six weeks, um, there were some tears, <laughs> mm. there was some laughter, um, but ultimately what happened was they got that clarity in that they did love to work and that that was an aspect that they didn't necessarily want to let go of. Um, and that's what they had missed in this retirement, but that they didn't need to have the biggest job title, the most uh, stature, big paycheck. They just wanted purpose and that feeling of contentment every day, like they've done their best. And that was the internal work that had to happen before the external job that was right could be revealed. Excellent. Good point. Good, good way. We're going to come back to that. Um, Cause I can relate to that a lot. And so man, I'm probably going to do, we're going to do you know 30 second coaching session with Dave on the other side of our break. But uh, that is really, that's, that's really cool because you, you talked about intrinsic and extrinsic a lot. And it sounds to me like that stuff, not it, it's they are they're together they're melded together they're they're not separate they they influence each other it's all one and two parts of a big big mess right absolutely okay well we're going to come back to that on the break after the break and we're going to talk a little bit about just that is giving ourselves permission to do the things that we really want to do without feeling guilty about the things that we think we should be doing in uh that's what we'll talk about next when we come back we all struggle with relationship tensions in the home or at work or with a loved one. Often that tension causes us to avoid communicating with that individual because it usually ends up in a fight or an argument that only makes things worse. In the show Stop Telling and Start Listening, host David Cook shares the lessons of his personal experiences to help you engage in healthy, insightful conversations for healing broken or damaged relationships. 
After a successful professional career as a sales pro, executive, and consultant, David Cook discovered, in a significant, transformational way, the impact a shift in listening had on the father-son relationship during his youngest child's struggles with a heroin addiction. After loving his son with various reactive behaviors of shame, guilt, criticism, judgment, David discovered that when he made a commitment to understand his son's struggles, to learn about the addiction journey from his son's perspective and meet him where he was in his addiction, David realized he was rebuilding their relationship in powerful, influential ways. David's show, Stop Telling and Start Listening, provides listeners guidance and insight to the powers of listening, selfless listening. Instead of avoiding the people we are struggling to understand or communicate with, David provides listeners with tools they can utilize to facilitate an authentic, safe sharing of personal and real perspectives and experiences. He teaches us how to navigate into areas of communication tension to help repair broken or damaged relationships, build trust with those we need to lead or support, and solve complex problems with impactful, lasting solutions. Join David on Mondays at 11 Pacific for a listening session that will help close the divide that exists or is developing between you and others in your community. You're listening to Stop Telling and Start Listening. Have a question for David or his guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Or you can email Dave at dave at thecookgroupllc.com. Now, back to the show with David. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Stop Telling and Start Listening. And this is Dave Cook with my guest and friend, Kate Turner. We just had a great conversation right before break. We were talking about um, enjoying things and yet having guilt at the same time. I think it's really powerful. Um, you know, I was, as you were telling that story about your success story, Kate, it reminded me of, um, of an internal battle that I've fought for probably the last four years relating to my cycling. And, um, you know, I've always been, you know, obviously I'm at a different age in my life, but I wasn't, I was, you know, a high performing athlete in high school and college, a swimmer and stuff like that. So everything for me is competitive. Mm-hmm. And so, and even training and exercise is competitive, you know, which is not healthy because you're doing that. It's self-care. It's, it could be fun in theory. I'm not really training for anything. I'm actually just riding my bike because riding my bike is good for me physically, emotionally, psychologically but I would get on my bike and I'd and I'm be racing and competing and doing rides to try to keep up or beat or whatever with people 10, 15, 20 years younger than me. And I had a, a guy who's uh, trains triathletes and he's like 20 years older than me. And he has, you know, obviously 20 years older, you know, chances are pretty good. He has more wisdom than I do. Cause that's usually what older people do. Um, at least those who grow. Um, but he kept saying, he said, Dave, he said, it's not a competition. It's a ride. Enjoy it. It's like, oh, I can't. Says, you got to learn how to do that. And it was such a battle because then I would decided that I was going to ride with a different level group and riding with the different level group. We went slower and I was looking at all the guys that I would normally ride with and they'd post their times and their distances and their speed and all that crap. And I go, oh, I should be with those guys. And I was like the, and, and it, and it literally took the joy of cycling away because I was so busy focusing on the performance aspect of it. And I'm, you know, and like you talked about with your transition to out of corporate America to being, you know, a sage for people who want balance and, and structure, you know, like peace in their life, everything's important. It's a, it was a process, but I'm still fighting it. It's been like a year or two. I'm still battling it. You know, so it really, that, that, that story really resonated with me. So you get that a lot with people where they're like, want to go here, but there's this voice in the background going, ah. Yeah, I can relate personally, for sure. Everything is a competition for me as well. And I left my sales role, not because I didn't like sales or I wasn't good at it, but it was because I was so driven by having a quota that I couldn't find balance until I left quota behind. Mm -hmm. Or so I thought. 
So then I moved into a role where I still talked with customers, but I didn't have a sales number. And what happened? I immediately had to be at the top of those leaderboards and I had to have the best customer satisfaction survey. I had to have everything at the top. It was so competitive again. And that was the moment that I realized that it wasn't about the role. It was about the person in the role. Mm -hmm. And that's the case for every single one of my clients that typically the experience you're having is a symptom of what's going on inside of you and what your own beliefs and values are. It's not going to actually be the root cause, right? Change the job, but don't change the person, same problems. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we work on is it's gotta be okay. You know, why is this coming up for you? Where else is this showing up for you in your life? How is this impacting you? And once you get clear on that, then we can start to make the smaller changes to prevent Mm -hmm. the patterns, to overcome the beliefs, to root your value in something other than being competitive, winning, making the big paycheck, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because those are all outcomes, right? Yeah. But um, there's a lot of stuff going on in the background. I love the words that you use, you know, kind of a make sure we make a point because we talked about this as from a listening point of view. The nature of your questions, Kate, were um, open-ended, mm-hmm. you know, why, what, where, how, um, as opposed to have, our do, uh, because those are yes, no's. When you're asking questions like that and you can ask questions and, and, you know, I'm sure you do, you can maybe explain it, but how do you formulate the questions? But you're formulating, it sounds to me like you formulate questions that, that encourage people to go deeper into themselves to explain things? Yes, absolutely. Just about every single one of my questions is focused around why, Mm -hmm. but very rarely do I actually ask a question that starts with why. And the reason for that is because that's what brings up the judgment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so instead of asking, well, why do you do that? Like what makes you do that? could be an example or what's an example of when that has happened right mm-hmm. what happened before what happened after right then you start to see that cause and effect without being like well why are you doing that or why don't you just stop which immediately shuts somebody down it doesn't that's open pretty, things up mm-hmm. that's pretty funny i just got coached people just so you guys know that um because <laughs> i love <laughs> Because I'm when I listen to people, one of my first responses, okay, you know, why do you think that? Or why, mm-hmm. you know, why'd you do that? And people say, isn't that really confronting? And I'm thinking, no, it's what popped in my head. Well, what you just talked about from a lear- listening and learning point of view is you can ask the same question, but choose a word that reinforces your desire to keep the space safe and free of judgment. And mm-hmm. why questions, you know, there you really are, you do want to understand why, but finding a way to ask why without asking why is really, that's a good one. Yeah, it opens things up. And I think it's different when you're in self-reflection. A meditation practice I do is I'll sit and look at something that triggered me and just, well, why'd that come up? And sit with that for a minute. Then, hmm, now why do I think that piece of it yeah. came up, right? Or why would I feel that way? And I can dig into it myself, right? Because if I get resentful or start to have some resistance, I can sit with it on my own. But it's very different when you're in relation uh, or when you're trying to build connection, trust with somebody, you don't want them to be on the defensive. You may not have time to really sit with it and see what comes up. So the more you can open up the conversation, make it that safe space while still digging deeper, getting to what's really important. Uh, the better those connections will be, the better and more meaningful you in mm-hmm. the interaction will be mm-hmm. for both. Yeah. Have you, uh, do you, do you script any of your questions or do you just kind of like um, let the, the moment take you where it takes you? I let the moment take me where it takes me. Everything is completely personalized. So the only thing that I do before a coaching call is about two minutes before I'll take a couple of deep breaths and I set an intention. And my intention is always to be the presence that my client needs. 
and yeah. for whatever my client needs to have revealed, be revealed, and for them to leave with an understanding of what to do next. The rest just unfolds. Right. Now, from a coaching point of view, this goes back a little bit back to selfless listening and selfish telling and that kind of stuff. But um, obviously, you like you just said, you have an intention, and I love your intention because it is it allows it allows you allows a lot of room because it's all and it's all about your client. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, creating creating an environment for them to find what they're looking for, essentially, which is beautiful. But um, at some point, in, somewhere in that thing, do you ever find see yourself getting hung up on how am I doing, or how am I how's how is this going as it relates to me? Oh, of course. Okay. And, and <laughs> how do you how do you navigate how do you navigate that? Because obviously, you want it you you want to stay in that thing where it's about them and stuff like that. But every once in a while, that voice shows up and says, "Okay, Kate, you know you're you're screwed up. You're you're on the wrong path, or whatever." I mean, I know I get that. So that's why I'm kind of asking. It's a leading question in that sense. But how well, do you navigate? We're, we're human. So I think that's a human tendency to worry you know, most about ourselves and to feel you know, insecure, curious about it. So yeah, of course, I find that. Um, typically, it's just in acknowledging it. Saying, mm-hmm. oh, you know, there I go talking to myself. Um, yeah. Or I've made myself the star of the show and just refocus um, to what's important now or what's the next question that my client needs to be asked and yeah. allowing myself to refocus in that because it's okay. It happens to the best of people. And I also find that sometimes that happens if I'm too focused on fixing for somebody else. Mm. It's not my job as a coach to fix anything. Like I said, people aren't broken. They don't need fixing. And the problems they bring me are not my problems. <laughs> uh, there are problems, but it's my job to help a client find their solution. Mm-hmm. So if I get caught up a lot of times, it's because I'm trying to figure out, well, if it was mine, how would I fix it? So mm-hmm. just reframing it back to what do they need? What do they want? How can I help them see themselves or their own solution brings it back into focus for them? Makes sense. Yeah, it, it sounds to me, you know, like, um, and I love the way you're doing that is so what you're really doing, and you said this earlier on, but what you're doing is you're, um, you're, you're giving voice to the stuff that hasn't been voiced, you're getting them to share things that maybe they, they've tamped down, or they've kept inside, or they've withheld, or nobody's asked them the kind of questions that need to be asked to get that out in the open. But, you know, awareness is always the, you know, the impetus for change. And what you're doing is when they hear themselves say something and you probe it and you provide context and clarity and focus on it, whatever it is, that allows them to look at it for what it is. Absolutely. And so you don't have to fix it because already they recognize, oh, man, did I just say that? Yes, you did. Mm-hmm. What do I need to do? I said, well, that's a good question. What do you need to do? Right. Mm-hmm. What's next? Right. Is that pretty much how, how you roll with that? It is. Yeah, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you you've uh, real quick. You spent time, um, obviously. And while it's obvious to me, so I shouldn't say obvious, but obvious to me is your um, sales personality. You know, the thing that made you great in sales was you know solutions oriented, right? Find solutions to problems and stuff like that. I'm going to have to cut off my own question, but anyway, really quick. Um, do you, did you, do you see your, um, in your coaching, the power of your sales training and experience? Um, does that equip you better or more equip you if, a whatever the right grammatical word is for what you're doing now? Yeah. Did my sales career translate into coaching or does it position me better? I think that sales training benefits everybody in every facet of life. Um, there's, so many aspects that are important, but what did help me was that I had to get good at asking powerful questions and listening to the resulting response in sales in order to be effective. And that is the same skill set that I do use as a coach. Um, and then also just knowing that I like being engaged with people. 
because sales was so collaborative. Um, that is also a skill set that I bring to my coaching that it's, it's us together. It's not me versus them um, or just them on their own. We're in it together. We're going to collaborate, work together to figure out what needs to happen next. Excellent. That's great. All right. So we've got uh, three minutes left in this show. See how fast it went? I did. So, but, um, specifically, tell me a little bit about, uh, tell, tell the, the listeners um, how we can find you and uh, get in touch with you. And what are the things that you would like to like us to know that we didn't cover? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for that opportunity. I would say if you identify at all with either being a high achiever or a workaholic, and you're wanting more of the good things in your life, um, you want to regain control of your time or feel like you have a stronger sense of self-worth, I'd recommend that we at least connect um, on LinkedIn. I do a lot of writing um, and I'm very engaged there. I also have a website, kateturnercoaching.com where you can get the full breakdown of my experience um, and some of my programs. I offer both one-to-one and group coaching programs. And I'll have a couple of one-hour webinars coming up uh, this month and next that introduce techniques to regain that sense of control of ourselves and of our time and to also help people identify the micro changes that will drive maximum impact towards really having freedom. And uh, like you mentioned in the the beginning, all of my programs really focus on first and foremost, getting clarity on what you really need to work on and what you really want, having the confidence to take hold of that and then taking sustainable action. So Kate Turner on LinkedIn is 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 one of the easiest ways more than anything else. Yep, absolutely. Sounds good. Well, Kate, I appreciate it. This was really awesome. Um, You know, next week we have somebody that you introduced me to, but next week we're going to have uh, Bree Johnson and we're going to talk about listening and leadership. Um, And thank you so thank you so much for that introduction. Um, Another for those who haven't don't know who Bree is, but you uh, if you enjoyed the high energy conversation that we had with Kate. There's more of that coming next week. So uh, you'll, you guys will enjoy it. So I look forward to that. And Kate, I do appreciate your time today. As far as everybody else, until the next time, um, remember something that's important that I always tell people is once you start listening, everything changes. So as you move forward in life, just stop telling and start listening to others. And thank you, everybody. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Stop Telling and Start Listening. We hope you've picked up on some useful ideas to help you enhance your conversational skills. Until we listen again, have a beautiful week.